0: Welcome to the People Behind the Tech podcast, which is brought to you by the Leaders Performance Institute and SBJ Tech. My name is John Porch. I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute. And, as always, I'm joined by Joe Lemire, the senior writer at SBJ Tech. Joe, welcome back. How's everything going?
1: Great. Good to be here as always. Thanks, John.
0: And it's great to have you. Now, today, our guest is another Joe, Joe Rogowski, the chief medical director at the NBA Retired Players Association. Elsewhere, Joe is engaged with the Sports Tech Research Network and is involved in an ongoing project around cardiology, which I'm sure we'll get into during this episode. Joe has also previously worked for the National Basketball Players Association and the Orlando Magic. Joe, welcome to the show. How are you doing? You were in Florida the last time we spoke.
2: Yeah, still here. Appreciate it, John. Thanks, Joe, for having me. I look forward to this.
0: And this is not your first liaison with leaders, I understand.
2: I uh, know. Yeah, I've gone to a few conferences. Um, so I'm, I'm very aware of, of, of what their their mission is and uh, excited to be here. Thank you. Fantastic. Joe
0: Lemire, let me hand it over to you.
1: Yeah, thanks, John. And as always, I, I always think one of the best filters of figuring out what a, a practitioner thinks is sort of the best monitoring tech and the best way is, is how he applies you know, or he or she applies it to their own lives. So you know, what do you monitor in your own life? What do you think is important? What tech or wearables might you use?
2: I'm always, uh, yeah, I'm a sort of a gadget person. So I'm always playing around with different physiology. And now that I have kids, I sort of, they're my my guinea pigs. It used to be back in the day when I was on the the team side, I used to use the uh, players. Uh, Now I use my my eight-year-old daughter that plays soccer um, and and myself. Obviously, I'm always looking at heart rate. You know, as John mentioned earlier, I'm I'm very big in cardiac. So I'm always analyzing, you know, just different cardiac responses to, to exertion and exercise and looking at muscle physiology and I think this last 12 months has given me a, a, a really appreciation of where tech is headed um, in terms of, you know, just the innovation because I've been really, you know, able to focus a lot on, on some of the different devices out there and play with them and see, you know, what's sort of on the horizon.
1: How did you get into this field in the first place? I know you, you played American football back in college. And where'd you go from there?
2: It was an interesting uh, uh, sort of route. Um, when I was, after college, uh, my degree is in uh, athletic training, sports medicine. So I was more on the physio side for, for the Europeans. Um, and then um, I went and received my master's uh, in cardiac physiology at University of Central Florida. And that that sort of start, piqued my interest in cardiac and how it's involved with athletics. And what I noticed at the time is there wasn't really a big focus on that and technology and, and and using some of the diagnostic tools for athletes. Uh, so then I was fortunate enough to get the Orlando Magic job as their head strength coach. And at that time, there wasn't, staffs weren't as big as they are now, Joe. They're, it was much smaller. It was, you're the strength coach, but you're also the sports scientist. You're also the manual therapist, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you really uh, had the, the, the latitude and the freedom to explore a bunch of the different devices. And I remember my first introduction to the sports science side was with Sunto. Um, My first year, I think this was 2005 in the NBA with the Magic, was uh, I I was hooking up all my players during games to these heart rate monitors, having them run down the court, which now is highly illegal. You can't do that. Um, But I I think I was a little ahead of of the time. It it really gave me an appreciation and and perspective on that. and, And I saw what could be done and what couldn't be done. Um, I, I remember guys, I remember Dwight Howard specifically running down the court and the heart rate strap coming off and throwing, them, throwing it into the crowd. Uh, you know, again, things are much more uh, streamlined nowadays, but that sort of piqued my interest. And from the Magic, I was there for about eight years. I went to the Houston Rockets uh, for a few years. And then after that, the Players Association reached out to me and said, listen, uh, we're creating uh, Michelle Roberts at the time, I uh, was a, the executive director. We're cre- creating this brand new position. Uh, we would love your, you know, just your network, your, your insight into, you know, not only sports performance, but the medical side, because I'm also an athletic trainer. Um, and so that's when I started with the Players Association and was there for eight years. Uh, so I had a, had a very uh, interesting career. Uh, I was very fortunate because I, I had very unique perspectives on different things and got to see a lot of this tech and the applications from a bunch of different points of view.
1: I'm surprised we haven't seen Dwight Howard heart rate strap on eBay at this point.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Maybe someone's I, waiting
1: for value to yeah, keep going.
2: It's interesting, you know, because you know, that, that was the one thing that we'd always go into discussions on. Is, all right, is this data, is it, is it something that's marketable? Can we sell it? And, and I said, listen, there, there has to be a market for it first. You know, I, I think we sometimes on the industry side, the commercialization of things, think all this data is valuable and, and useful, um, and you know, sort of exploring those. It, it's not. Yeah, you know, it, some things are, but some things are not as uh, I think important as, as sometimes we put out there, it, it, or as exciting to, to to the commercial side.
1: Sure. And, and whichever uh, of those roles that you, I mean, you played several of them: strength conditioning, sports scientists, and so forth. I mean, that's still the the constant. Uh, you know. I don't say challenge today is making sure that you, you get the athlete to have buy-in as well. How did you sort of foster that with your athletes to make sure that they were willing to do it and that they could get something out of it?
2: Yeah. And that's huge. And, and that's where I think, you know, sometimes, a lot, you know, you see a lot of issues on the team side when I, I, I think the application of, of these devices work best when it's someone that's been in the trenches and that understands what the players are going through and can, you know, quickly assess if this is practical or not. Um, a lot of times early on, I saw when someone from uh, more of the research side or commercial side would come to a team and try to apply this device, not knowing, you know, how things operate, you know, because each, each team, each league is different, uh, just the culture is different. Uh, so I think, you know, when it went from the other direction of, uh, of the strength coaches on that team that have been there a few years, bringing stuff in, they, they were quickly able to assess if, if something was going to give it a return on investment. And I, I, I just know that that was something that I was able to lean on um, early on and, and be able to differentiate between what would work and what wouldn't work. And I, and I think that's one thing that, you know, strength coaches, you know, have have sort of a sense for, you know, what will work immediately and apply it.
1: When you were in the team setting, that was a, sort of the critical juncture of the NBA when the you know the league wide tracking cameras came on online, yeah. and suddenly you know even though if you weren't getting the internal load, you were certainly getting external load that maybe you didn't get in the game before. How did that change the way that you uh, you know approached your job?
2: Yeah, so it, it really, yeah that that was something that um, we we really had to address on the fly, and I, I think that was when I, when I was at the Players Association, um, one of the things that we instituted, which I think was you know a huge um, advantage for us was we created the wearables committee. Because technology was advancing so fast and it was wild, wild west um, at, at that point. Uh, and we didn't know which devices were relevant, which were valid and re- reliable because everybody was using something different. And the, when that came on board, uh, we really wanted to dive into that and see, like, all right, from different perspectives, um, what what would work. Let's make sure this is all valid. So that's why I, I want to say it was 2015. somewhere we're there. We created the wearables committee. And, you know, I was, I was representing the players' association side. Obviously the NBA had, you know, some of their scientists on their side. Uh, and was, I was also fortunate because Mark Cuban was on, on the uh, NBA side. So just li- listening to his, his perspective, uh, because he's obviously a very innovative uh, forward thinker and he would always, you know, tell us what's on the horizon and, and things to keep in mind which would always you know make me think a little bit from my perspective which was more the application of devices so I, I will say you know as technology is progressing sometimes faster than where we are um, in a research and application stage so it's, it's, it's tough to stay ahead of it but I, I think the the NBA has done a pretty good job of trying to be on top of this and make sure that what we're using on our players because again a lot of people don't really you know think about this, You know, these devices sometimes have impacts on their career, you know, both from a a longevity and also from a financial standpoint. So, you know, we need to make sure that what we're using with them is, is valid and reliable. Joe, thank you for sharing your thoughts there. I'd like to know how you go about selling an idea to
0: a player. And what advice would you have for someone working for a group such as a wearables committee? If something works, what's the smartest way to take that back to the players and say, this may benefit your performance, your career, your health?
2: Yeah, uh, there's a lot that goes into it. And and I've I've seen where some people, you know, some practitioners, some strength coaches, trainers do a much better job than than others. And, you know, a lot of it starts at the, you know, at the conferences. And and this last year, I've tried to travel to every sports tech conference, um, uh, uh, professional sports conferences, vendor shows, military vendor shows to see what's out there. And that's where you, you get some ideas. And that's where it starts. You you try to figure out all right does this have an application with our group and and you also look at it yes this might have an application but knowing your players would this work with these guys because every team's different you might have a team that's very young or a vet team so those are all things that you know take into consideration before you even introduce it to the team then what I would do is I'd bring it to the you know players and and you always have a group of players that are sort of your guinea pigs that are open to anything any ideas and and sort of like technology and, and you get a good, you know, response back. And then you have players that you don't try stuff on until you, you have a proof of concept. And so I had always get, you know, with those guys. And at the time when I was with the magic, it was always Jameer Nelson. He was my Guinea pig there. And I'd say, Hey, Jameer, can you try this out? And he would, he would wear it and, you know, and, and give me his, his honest feedback. And then I would also, I would look at it from the science perspective and see if it made sense. And if the data that it was showing was, was valid. Uh, But also, you know, more importantly than anything was, you know, is it practical? Is this something that he could, you know, wear in a practice? Is this something that I could consistently do? Or is this a one-time, you know, thing and you get the, you know, the data from it and you move on. And I had plenty of those devices, which actually changed, you know, how I'd think about training these guys or how I, you know, how I'd help them with recovery. But it is a sell on the players because I always say, you know, with the players, you have... You, you have so many asks before you you've run out of asks and, and, and they turn, they tune you out. Uh, so you gotta be very, very, uh, conscious on on what you're asking because again at at a certain number they're going to say no so you got to make sure you get your 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 bank for your buck or return on investment on on the on the device that you're you're in integrating with them
0: and how hard is it to test outside of lab conditions if you're working yeah. with a group of players a roster you you clearly cannot equalize everything across the field so what are some yeah. of your considerations there
2: yeah there's so many different variables and I, and that's one of the hardest things too is you know we try to quantify in sports all the time you know Certain measurements, and I, I would always get in this argument with uh, with general managers and you know some of the higher ups that aren't in the day to day you know operations. And I would tell them, I'm like, listen, this is just a number, but this doesn't account for all these different variables. Um, and I and I ran in that sometimes with a couple of sports scientists that weren't were just giving me one objective measurement, saying and trying to you know say this is what's going on, this is what's happening, and I, and I would have to come back and be like, no, that's actually you're completely off this is what's going on behind the scenes. He didn't sleep last night. He was out till three in the morning, you know, what have you that's affecting the number, not that he's fatigued from performance and all that. And now you're actually, you know, adding to that by, you know, changing his perform you know, his, his training structure and all that. So the, those are those communication things that I think have gotten a lot better over the last several years. Uh, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago it was a little bit of, of a different story, but you know, that that's getting consistently better. And I, I think people are, you know, are realizing there's no, there's no miracle one data point or specific number that you can rely on. You know, you have to take it all in, all the different numbers, all the different variables, and you know, honestly, the biggest thing too is just you know, talking. You know, and people don't like this is the subjective side of it. You know, that's just as important as objective um, because if someone's if a player or an athlete's not mentally in it it doesn't matter what the objective objective numbers are. It's, you know, so that that's always was the first thing I would talk to the players and I could immediately, again, trainers and strength coaches and physios are very good at this It's just when they walk in for, you know, through the doors to the training room or the, the strength room and say, Hey, how are you doing today? And you could tell within five minutes what you're getting out of that guy uh, just depending on their reaction and their subjective, you know, uh, response to you.
1: This seems like a good point to ask about the, the phrase that everybody loves to talk about with basketball these days, load management, which, yeah. you know, <laughs> has certainly been taken on a, a life of its own. But how did you manage load? I mean, how did you go about making sure that everyone was as fresh as possible? And do you think as it's being done now is the right way to do it?
2: Yeah, so oh, the big debate, and and I was very fortunate when I was with the Magic. Our head coach, uh, Coach Stan Van Gundy, really opened up my eyes to what training really was and how good of conditioning shape our players could be in, and th- that w- that was that was a great learning point for me uh, to see, you know, how hard we could push these guys and have them healthy. And what we were finding back then, we were having, you know, and th- this was several several years ago. Uh, we were having players. Play eighty-two games. That, that was unheard of, and they were in tip-top shape, and we had very minimal injuries. Fortunately, one of the lowest injure, injured teams, and obviously, some of that comes with strength and conditioning. But I, w- I will put a lot of that on on coaching. I, I think coaches, as much as the, the performance staff has have input, and have an involvement in player injuries, because if you are not pushing them in practice to build up that load, um, so that when they get into games, you are really putting yourself at a disadvantage and putting these players at risk. And, you know, Coach Van Gundy was very good at – and the players would gripe. I mean, they, they there was always pushback, and everyone complains when they have to, you know, do ex- extra, you know, conditioning and running and all that. No one likes that. But when I would talk to the players, and even talking to the players to this day, they will say that it's the best shape they've ever been in, the healthiest healthiest they've ever been uh, during those days. So, you know, now looking at player load, it's – you know, we, we need to be careful. I, I understand, you know, contracts are getting bigger and that sort, but – you also don't want to put the players at risk for injury by detraining them. And that's why that's sort of, I I think the pendulum has gone from one end to all the way to the other end where, you know, now the players aren't aren't in shape going into the playoffs sometimes um, and they're getting injured, you know, because now they're going full throttle in the first, you know, first week of the playoffs and you see a lot of injuries spike up there. So I think it's, you know, it's definitely a team effort. It's definitely the strength coaches having the, you know, the ear of the coach, the coach having the ear of the strength coaches and the trainers, and everybody being on the same page, and, and not under training players. Um, that 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 probably concerns me more than overtraining. I I always say that I've I've never seen uh, an NBA player overtrain. Uh, you know, overtraining is more on the side of, and I've seen this with like triathletes or marathon runners and that sort. Now, uh, basketball players and professional athletes have other variables that. Account to that, like you know, the sleep deprivation and the travel, which that affects their performance absolutely. And sometimes that gets masked as you know, oh, this guy's fatigued from you know sport. Not it's not not necessarily the sport. Sometimes the travel and and those other variables that come into play. So it's you know, it takes a keen sense to differentiate between why is this guy really tired? What's really going on behind the scenes? If we if we you know don't train him this day, are we doing him a disservice? Um, you know, because sometimes I, I would always tell the players like, hey, come in, just get a workout in, just get your body moving, it'll wake you up. And they always felt they always re- did it begrudgingly, but they always felt a 100 times better afterwards. And then they, you know, they got their body in sync and, and that sort. So it, it is a slippery slope, uh, uh, the uh, load management.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, you went from that team setting to being chief medical officer of the Players Association. So yeah. How did that, how, you know, especially in that role, how did your view evolve?
2: Hopefully, people respected and 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 trusted me. Is that you know, coming from the team side, I I I was whatever's best for the players. Even though I know um, sometimes player load came into play, I I also said sometimes it could you know be a disservice to a player. So I was always very you know uh, forthright with the players or the agents, and and that's where I said, listen, no, you also have to get in shape, you know. So you because again, this is affecting your career. Um, If you're playing less minutes, if you're playing less games. You know, that, that affects your career, that affects you financially. So I think they always knew I was coming at it from what's, what's in the best interest of the player, because for everybody involved, if the players are on the court, that that's good for the league, that's good for the players' association, that's good for the team, that's good for the agents. Everybody wants players on the court. So I would just sometimes be that, you know, that, hey, let's think about this, you know, uh, from you know, all different perspectives, you know, you do have to be in shape. And I would just give, you know, my, my perspective of being on the team side for 10 years. And I think that was sort of a benefit that, you know, Michelle Roberts at the time would, you know, lean on and, 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 and value as well.
0: If you think back to your conversations with players and agents, did they ever have the capacity to surprise you? Would a player ever come to you with a question, for example, that had you questioning your own wisdom?
2: <laughs> uh, that would be daily. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, it's, it's re- and I think that, that was one of the best things that, I learned working um, as a working for the players association because I had to wear multiple hats and I had to talk to different groups across the board. So I had the I, I same problem, same subject matter. I had to present it to the player in one one manner, one form that they would understand what would resonate with them. Then the agent was completely different. Then the the, and the team staff. Um, that I, I was, you know, in the middle of, I would have to explain it to them in a different manner and the uh, NBA and the players association. And it just went down, down to lawyers there. They had one, you know, interest for them. So it really, in that capacity it really made me look at it from a bunch of different lenses. And I, and I think that was one of the things that I was probably, I enjoyed the most was when I got to speak to the team, you know, trainers and the team strength coaches at their annual meetings because I would look at, you know, because I've been in their shoes and I, you know, I would sometimes not see the forest for the trees and I would just see it from my, my lens, my perspective. And I would try to, you know, let them see it from all different you know, views and say, hey guys, listen, I know where you guys are coming from. I know this is hundred percent, but you also got to say, this, you also got to see that this is in play as well. And so I try to, you know, explain it to them where they would sort of understand the different perspectives and I I think that that communication part was so crucial and so vital, especially during the COVID times of, Hey, this is what's going on and sort of being uh, on the forefront of that and, and being a, an advocate for the trainers and strength coaches of, listen, I know what you guys are going through. I I know, you know, this, this load on you players. I know what you guys are going through. I know, you know, this is weighing on you guys. Let's, you know, try to figure out how we can do our jobs, uh, you know, and, and move forward with it. So you know, it's it, it's it's been a blessing to have these unique ex- experiences and, and to give me this perspective and create this network. Uh, so I, I've been very fortunate in that in that, that realm. And now I, I look at things a lot different when injury happens or when people talk about load management or contracts and all that. It's, it's, it's I've been very fortunate.
1: This is a, seems like a, another good point to interject because uh, you got that title of chief medical officer in January 2020. So talk about a, a welcome to the job moment when the world <laughs> shuts down a month or two later.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, cover that was that was a fun. Die. I I, I I I my wife laughs. She's like, I've never seen you work so much. I, I we would have calls till three in the morning uh, with the NBA, um, and I would be calling our executive director at two a.m. Uh, just trying to explain, hey, this is what we're doing because we're, you know, we, that that was at the time we were trying to get the bubble uh, going and, and making sure um, we were staying, you know, ahead of what all the sports, uh, what all the scientists and medical personnel were saying. Um, and I, I learned a lot, I, I will say that. And but also keeping, you know, again the big picture, you know, in mind of, hey, this is, you know, this is what's important, and in representing the players, you know, the last thing we want to do is put them in a position to uh you know jeopardize their career their health so that, that was a lot that was a very stressful situation um i'm i'm glad it's over but you know it it, it it was very uh very enlightening
0: and how do you know what to say and what not to say to a player so if you've got let's just say 10 things you want to tell them or could tell them in theory but you're only going to say three of those things what's the thought process in your mind
2: yeah it really depends on the player um i I, I, You know, coming into the league, I, I didn't really appreciate that or value that as much of getting to know the players and just knowing what makes them tick and what's important to them. You know, how I would speak to a, a veteran player with a family is much different than I would talk to an 18-year-old that's right out of college that's, you know, wild and having fun. The good thing is that, you know, as I was moving on in my career, you know, when I was with the PA, I could, I could always reflect because I always had someone that fit that mold that was similar to them and say, hey, listen, you know, so-and-so did very similar to you. This is what I, you know, helped benefit them. I, I think that really resonates with them uh, because they're always look, you know, who am I? You know, I'm, I'm a coach, I'm a trainer, just, you know, trying to you know, tell them. But if I could give them sort of real life examples of success stories, or or vice versa, you know, guys that went a different direction and it didn't work out for them. I, I think that really resonated, and that allowed me to, you know, get them important, you know, matters to them, and gave them, you know, a little bit of trust in me that they knew where I was coming from, and and that's the other, you know, thing that I think is very vital is the players trust you. I, I would always tell the players I got your backs first. I, I learned this early in my career from another strength coach who told me, Joe, you know, players will. We'll, do, we'll go to the ends of the earth where you, if they know they could trust you and you have their health and long-term health in your best interest. And that sort of started me, honestly, down the road of cardiac uh, because, you know, we were having it, so many players have, you know, cardiac issues, you know, post-career. So I, you know, and that was a little bit of my background in my master's degree. So I started looking at that. And, you know, started working with players on thinking, not just, Hey, and I would tell them this, uh, listen, I I love having you on our team. You know, this might last three, four years. You're going to retire by age 35. Let's think about your long-term health after 35. Let's teach you skills that could help you play with your kids when you're older. And that's when I think that really helped by the trust of the players and and then allow me to get my other messages across to them.
0: And you mentioned triathlon before. So if you compare triathlon, say, with basketball, completely different sports. One yeah. is, shall we say, linear. The other one is what, non-linear, I guess. Yeah. Do you find there's a difference when it comes to buying between a linear and a non-linear sport? Because if you know what the goal is, you can, you need to swim you know, so far in such and such time. It's very different to playing a fluid game like basketball. right? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and and you know, having having done both, you know, triathlon is much more objective, much more number based. Um, you know, seconds matter. You know, the little details, one percent, two percent, are big differences. You know, basketball, it's hard to to you know give that an objective measurement and and and, and you know use the same uh, scale. So, and, and it's more of an individual sport. Obviously, you know, uh, you're in your own head uh, doing triathlons. It's it's all on you. Uh, you know, your your own worst enemy sometimes basketball. You have, you know, a team you not only have your basketball team, you have your coaching staff, you have your uh su- support staff, medical, and all that. So, um, it's it's definitely two different animals and two different ways of uh, of approaching it. And it, it is uh two very unique uh sports settings. And what area, uh, you know, we've certainly
1: heard a lot more about recovery or sleep, like what is what's the area of, of the job and managing players that probably changed the most during your career or that, that, you know, by the end of it, you were thinking more about that maybe you didn't early on.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, coming in early as a strength coach, you're all ready to get the guys in the weight room, lift, uh, power development and all that. But then as I mentioned earlier, with the travel and just seeing what a beast that is, and you don't really understand it until you do it your, your first year. And you're getting in at 2 a.m. every morning, and it's it, it, it's it's doozy. Is addressing that and and looking at it through a different lens of, all right, uh, you know, how do we combat the sleep issues? How do I get these guys just feeling good every day to perform? Um, you know, sometimes it's not about getting them in great shape and strength and conditioning. That that's all part of it, yes. But how do I get them once they get that to be able to replicate that on a day-to-day basis in games and not feel fatigued and and on a long west coast road trip get exhausted where to the point where they're now at a higher rate for injury and all that so i really had to dive into that side of things and and work with the, the medical staff and you know the other support staff personnel of all right what what can we do to make sure these guys are at their prime every day and again nothing's perfect and and we you know there would be things we tried out that would fail and other things that we'd see success and each guy was a little bit different some guys uh, resonated with cryo chamber. Some guys resonated more with cold plunge. You know, so you really make it specific to, to that guy and sort of have an open mind for it as well. Um, and the great thing is, over the last 10, 15 years, technology has advanced a lot in that group, in that area. So there's different devices to use, different things to try out and implement that have, I think really have helped players and help increase the longevity of their careers.
1: And you have mentioned the, the cardiac interest, and uh, I'd love to know mm-hmm. a little more detail about what you're working on now and what's the specific vision of, you know, the objective that you're trying to achieve.
2: Yeah, so, you know, obviously, you know, working with the Retired players Association, you know, that's one of my main focuses because that, that demographic is, you know, cardiac, cardiovascular disease like every American, you know, that's in their, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. You know, being a little more on the diagnostic side, I've really tried to, uh, you know, uh, try to, Look at it from a couple of different uh, viewpoints, and and one of the things that I think that tech has really moved, and, and I'm sure everybody is aware, you know, aware of this, is AI and, and looking at you know looking using sort of the, the AI to to take out the human error element that sometimes we see in diagnosing. Because, you know, one of the things I've I've really appreciated talking with a lot of the sports cardiologists that you know work in, in with professional athletes is there there's a there's a lot of you know vague. There's still there's still a lot of understanding that needs to be done with athletes, uh, not just current athletes' um, heart, um, but also when they retire and what happens there. Um, and sometimes there's human error, you know, with anything, with whether it's on the, the the diagnostic side, whether it's on the reporting reading side, you know, that's just you know something that happens. You know, if we could limit that or you know help with that, you know, integrating different uh, technology that you know that's the ideal situation that's what everybody would want. So I've sort of gotten into researching that side. I uh I, I just did a res- uh, helped contribute to a research study with uh, Ge- University of Georgia and University of Florida uh where we looked at muscle physiology, you know just trying to get a better understanding of the athlete's heart and you know what that uh looks like and you know what that looks like post career and 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 down the road. So doing some longitudinal studies which is exciting. Uh, and very interesting,
1: yeah, and I think this audience would would probably be interested to know maybe a little more like what what are you finding with retired athletes like what are they more susceptible to certain conditions, or are they less susceptible well, the- y-
2: Yes, and for a couple of you know reasons, um and this is why I, I implemented this part of, in terms of our our health screenings. so we we do health screenings with the re, you know with the retired players uh, six times a year uh, with our nBA guys, so we do these big events. Um, and obviously, it's very cardiovascular based. We do full echocardiograms, carotids, EKGs, blood pressure, blood panels. But the other important part of it um, that you know we ended up teaming up with uh, North Shore Hospital uh, was implementing uh, orthopedics uh, because cardiovascular health is very predicated on being having a healthy lifestyle. And unfortunately, these guys post career have hips, knees, ankles that need replacements that. Limit them in terms of doing cardio. That we are are fortunate that we could go for hopefully for a jog or or what have you. You know, bat, former basketball players or football players or what have you, former athletes sometimes are limited in that, and because of that, they put on weight and are not the healthiest people. So I, I think that you know, having you know, an orthopedic component also to the cardiovascular component of having a you know. A sound cardiology group around is is vital to these guys' um, long, career, longevity and getting them on the right medications. That that's one big thing that I saw. A lot of these guys were pre-diabetic uh, and that sort, um, and they didn't know it. Uh, and just putting that on the radar and being proactive about their health, I, I think's uh, been huge. And we've we've saved, I will say, uh, several uh, several players at this point, whether it's through surgeries and or getting them on the right medications. Uh, that has been very beneficial and, and and very exciting. And again, you know, using this data and and sort of these numbers for um, and what we're finding to better the next generation and to learn from what we've already done, I, I think it's been very uh, important, very integral. And in, and in working with some of the top sports cardiologists to say, hey, all right, we found this. And what what's our sense here? How can we move forward with this and make it better for the younger generations?
1: Wow, yeah, I can imagine that's very rewarding to. And then and as you say, you can start applying what you've learned to work with that 18 or 19 year old to make sure they mm-hmm. chart a slightly different path down the road
2: yeah absolutely yep
1: um and then uh you john mentioned at the outset that you've also started getting involved in the in the sports tech research network uh and yeah. I know it's a it's a group i've had a chance to speak with and i know there was um you know a, a white paper put out about a you know sort of what we were talking about earlier about how to choose and validate devices i'd love to know a little bit more about your role
2: yeah, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I was very fortunate uh, to be asked to be part of that um, a group of <laughs> very specialized, very intelligent sports scientists, um, and I, I was flattered that they, they asked me to be part because I, I am not as, as sports science and sports tech uh, savvy as they are, uh, but they were, you know, they were, they were very nice, and they said, listen, you know, you obviously you have a unique perspective being on the player side, working on the team side, and more on the practical." Uh, logistics side of, you know, which, you know, we would like to hear your thoughts on. So, I, you know, that, that, that was something that I was very excited to be part of, uh, to help them out and just, you know, give them my two cents of what I've seen on the team side and, and some, some of that perspective or the, the legal perspective that may not have, you know, been the, the clinical side that they, they're accustomed to. Uh, so we've, we've done some, you know, very uh, interesting research so far. Looking at, you know, trying to, similar to what we did with the wearables committee at the NBA is trying to, you know, make sort of a, more of a standardization of wearables and what to look for and how to address that. Uh, Because again, it's still a little bit, um, every league does a little bit different. Uh, Every team does it a little bit different. So if we could give some standardization to, you know, assessing wearables and applying it, you know, I think that just helps everybody. um, you know, from the athlete to the team, to the leagues. Um, and, uh, you know, that, so it's been very, very, very uh, uh, good and fortunate so far.
1: Yeah, this has all been fascinating, but I'll uh, kick it back over to, to John to, to bring us on home.
0: I'll certainly try to do my best on that front. Joe, you discussed the potential for AI to remove the human error from medical diagnoses in professional sports. Where else is AI having or can have a profound impact in your view?
2: Yeah, so AI is uh obviously the hot new new topic and uh you know uh like I said I you know last year I've been very fortunate to play around a couple of different companies. I it was sort of where wearables were I think 10 years ago it's sort of the wild wild west. I've been on a bunch of calls with different companies that use the word AI which I think it's still a a, a vague term that no one really you know knows what it is and um it might just be you know uh, you know, a, a catchy phrase with some of these uh, companies, but I, I think it's still in the works. It's still in the progress. We're trying to fill it out. I, I've seen some devices that, um, and some companies that are much further on, uh, further along with it that have done some really remarkable things that I've talked to them about, well, what if we did this? Because I know this is a, a definite area of need in sports or cardiac or what have you. Uh, so having those dialogues has been really exciting, and refreshing mm-hmm. about the possibilities, uh, but again, you know, going at it with, you know, uh, sort of, uh, you know, viewing of, uh, of hey, there also is potential. We still need to validate and improve the concept on a lot of these things because, you know, I don't, I don't want to get, you know, too far out uh, ahead of it. So it's it's still in the works on the AI side. Yeah, we'll need to edit that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I will say, you know, in, in terms of the AI as well, there, there's it's not just being applied to sport. I, I've seen different, like from scouting there, you know, there's a couple of different companies out there um, that use it to scout athletes. So it's just not on the medical side. It's, there, there's a bunch of different areas that it could be implemented recovery side. I've seen it, like I said, cardiac side is one area that, that could be, you know, see a lot of benefits. Um, so the, the sky's the limit for AI.
0: Do you think we're likely to see that residual mistrust from coaches and players that greeted sports science or analytics in the past?
2: Yeah, and and that's a scary thing because now you're taking the subjectivity and and making it more of an objective, which I think is scary on all fronts, not just sports. Um, And, you know, if it's, you know, like I mentioned earlier, if it's potentially hurting a guy's career, you know, or you know, obviously the agent will not like that. And if it's limiting their financial gains, that that's something that needs to be understood. And, you know, if it's not, if it's still being figured out, you don't want decisions being made on something that's not, you know, validated and reliable. Where again, where we were 10 years ago with wearables of, Hey, before we implement this, let's make sure we know what it's doing. And it's actually right. But then even that, then, you know, you do have to get the, the players association and, and, and agents to sign off on it um so it's 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 got some uh some hurdles to get over and and again it's I don't even think we're there yet with AI to to have that you know be a factor but it's something to think about because it, it could it's not too far out in the distance
0: watch this space right
2: mm-hmm. yes yes
0: so joe just to wrap things up what does the next 12 months hold for you what do you hope to have achieved in the next year
2: yeah so the next 12 months are are, are exciting in the, in the standpoint that I I'm gonna be traveling to a bunch of different conferences, uh, looking at what's out there. You know, every six months there's new devices out there, new technology. It's better, advanced, smaller. Uh, so, you know, staying at the forefront of that uh, will be, you know, front and center for me. And then also along the lines of, you know, AI, um, seeing what applications we could you know, use that for where it's actually benefiting the player. Um, benefiting the athletes and 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 taking some of that human error element out of medical uh, would, would, you know, is something that is intriguing to me, uh, using it for research, uh, making it making us look at things that we might not have uh, thought of before, uh, because there's so many different variables, as we mentioned earlier, that affect these players that, you know, putting a couple of these variables together to, and, and making assumptions, I, I think, and looking at the research on that, I think would be beneficial. So th- that's, I think, very exciting um, to see, you know, where we're at in 12 months, uh, both on the technology side, the wearable side, the AI side, um, and seeing if it's, you know, how, how do we apply it, but also keeping the safeguards, you know, that we are dealing with human beings and we're dealing with athletes that have careers. So keeping that also in perspective, I think is is crucial and very important.
0: That's brilliant, Joe. Thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it.
2: Uh, John, Joe, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it.